right, you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter number 5, Matthew 5. We're going to read verse 33 down through verse number 37. Matthew 5, we're going to read 33 through 37. We'll begin together in 33. We'll read the passage responsively. That means we'll read every other verse together. I'll read the other verses on my own. So the odd verses together as a a church, the even verses alone. Let's begin together in 33. Read it like you mean it. Here we go. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne." Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, neither uh, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. The title of the message this morning is this, Swear Not an Oath. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you that you'd be with us this morning. Help us to understand the word of God. Lord, encourage our hearts. Lord, I also received a note just a few minutes ago that uh, our dear sister, Miss Mercedes, has uh, been taken to the hospital with dizziness. We do pray that you would touch her body and lift her up, heal her, Lord. And Lord, bring her back to us uh, quickly and safely. Lord, help the doctors to diagnose what, uh, what's going on with her and help her to get that right. Lord, help us to turn our attention to the Word of God. May it resonate in our hearts. May we see the character flaws that lie within us, and may we make those adjustments. May we be a bright light in a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Could I get my lapel on? All right, thank you. Our theme this year at White Oak Baptist Church is swear not, or rather is the commands of Christ. The title is swear not enough. Commands of Christ. We're going through the 52 commands of Christ that are in the New Testament throughout the four Gospels and the teaching of our Savior. Uh, I have lumped the commands of Christ, the 52 commands of Christ, into various sermon series. And the first set we're looking at is on this topic of my character, my character. Now, if a Christian does not have any character, he becomes a poor testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, let me illustrate it this way, okay? If I were to go into a McDonald's here in Stratford, Connecticut, you know what, before I move forward, I, there is not a restaurant in America that is picked on more than McDonald's, all right? People talk about how nasty McDonald's is, and then I drive by McDonald's and the drive through line is wrapped around the building, all right? Let's be honest, how many of you like a good McDonald's french fry? Raise your hand, you like... That's what I thought. Okay, so uh, McDonald's French fries, it's hard to beat. Unless it falls between your seats and three years later, it still hasn't molded. What's up with that, right? Uh, but you know what? If I go into McDonald's in Stratford, Connecticut, or I go into McDonald's in Miami, Florida, or I go into McDonald's in Seattle, Washington, and I order a Big Mac, you know what I should get? I should get about the same hamburger. How many remember the commercial that talks about what a Big Mac is? What is it? Help, help me out here. I, that's a little, I'm a little too young for that. McDonald, or a Big Mac is a what? A 
And they said we didn't speak tongues in a Baptist church. <laughs> yeah, that, okay, that. Um, uh, you know, a, 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 a Big Mac is a Big Mac anywhere you go in America. Now, I, I have traveled internationally, and I can tell you, a Big Mac is not necessarily a Big Mac once you leave the U.S. It, that can change a little bit. But a Big Mac is a Big Mac whether you're in Bangor, Maine, or you're in Phoenix, Arizona. And listen, uh, uh, to take this illustration even further, when I was a young young man, a, a teenager, I worked at McDonald's, rather, I worked at Burger King for a while. And uh, listen, back in uh, the early uh, part of this century, 2001, 2002, when I worked there, uh, I loved Burger King. I loved it. Uh, I worked there. People said, you probably get sick of it because you worked there. I never got sick of it back then. I, I could eat a Whopper breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, when you work at Burger King and you're getting ready to take a break, you can make it however you want. And I used to just get it just right. And uh, I loved, loved, loved Burger King. But you know what? Now... Burger King, I don't know how many of you feel this way, I feel that Burger King over the last 10 years has really slidden backwards quite a ways. I won't touch a Burger King restaurant with a 200-foot pole, all right? I won't, I'll, buy, I'll buy you something there. I won't buy myself something there. And um, uh, just the customer service as a whole has fallen off the table, and uh, the restaurants just seem to be a little bit more dirty. And the um, uh, many of you may uh, remember um, or know of Popeyes. I guess we all know of Popeyes. It's an international chain. When I was a boy, my dad would take me into Popeyes to get a bucket of chicken after church, and I would look around and say, "This place is—I mean, the floor is greasy, uh, it's dirty, the customer service was poor." If you've walked into Popeyes in the last five to ten years, they've really renewed their image and they've come back strong. And management has a lot to do with it. And listen, uh, watch this now. When uh, going back to Burger King, when you have enough individual restaurants begin to slide backwards, eventually it hurts the reputation of the entire company. And when you have enough Christians begin to lack in character across the country and across the world, eventually it gives all of us a bad name. But beyond giving me or you a bad name, it hurts the name of Christ the most. Here's the reality. I should be able to meet a Christian in Stratford, Connecticut, or in Albania, or in Turkey, or in China, or in Ethiopia, or in Mexico, and I should expect that person to behave just about the same way. Just about the same way. I should expect that behavior to be about the same. Now... Yes, there are cultural differences in all of those countries. But the character of the Christian should be the same. Jesus had a whole lot to say about day-to-day behavior with Christians. And uh, we have looked at several of the commands of Christ this calendar year as it relates to our character. Going back into January, uh, moving forward, we talked about walking in the light. How Christians need to walk in the light and walk not in darkness and eliminate the shadows where sin thrives in our hearts. We talked about the importance of shining our light. And then we looked at being humble and being merciful and uh, not judging and uh, being quick to give to the needs of others. And today we're going to look at this topic of swearing not an oath. So that brings us to this question. What is an oath? 
I uh, sat down with this passage this week to put this sermon together, and many of you know I go away in the fall for a week, and I sit down with a calendar, and I plan, plot my preaching for the next calendar year, and um, I, I penciled in for this calendar date that I would be preaching on Matthew 5, 33-37, swear not an oath, and I remember reading that passage there in that cabin up in uh, the woods in Vermont, and thinking to myself, I don't even know what that means, but I guess we're going to figure it out. And so I got to the passage this week, and I studied, and I studied, and I studied. And boy, I probably put twice the effort into this week's message than I normally do. And my, my process, if I could take you into my office um, and, and sort of show you how I put messages together, I, I will take a passage that I'm going to preach or a topic that I'm going to preach, and I will read that passage at least ten times before I make any notations to really observe absorb the passage deep in my soul. And then after I've read it the ten times, I will write down the key words or phrases or ideas of the passage. And then I will do studies uh, across the whole Bible. And I did all of that. And then I, I, if I still don't really have clarity of the passage or, uh, or understanding the passage, then I will pull out commentaries. And my desk will be covered in commentaries. And I've got digital commentaries and paper commentaries. So I got, on, I got to that point and I got all my commentaries out. They're sprawled out all over my office, and I begin to read in each one what uh, these uh, men have to say about Matthew 5, 33-37. And you know what I found they said? Not a whole lot. They were just as confused as I was. And, uh, and then I uh, found one commentary that seemed to have some pretty good depth and insight. And uh, here was one of the questions I was seeking to answer as I put this uh, sermon together. What is even an oath? What is an oath? And here is uh, what one person, uh, 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 here is what one person said. Here's how they put it. They said this. They said, an oath refers to a promise made in God's presence to another human party, whereas a vow refers to a promise made directly to God. Let me read that again. An oath refers to a promise made in God's presence to another human party, whereas a vow refers to a promise made directly to God. Now, I can't stand by that definition and say wholeheartedly that is what an oath and a vow is, but I believe after all of what I have read and studied this week that that is pretty accurate. So, by that definition, we should not call it a marriage, marriage vows, we should call it a marriage oath. We're promising to a spouse that we will be exclusive and loyal to them until death do us Part. And so we're making a promise to a person in the presence of God, and so that would then be a marriage oath. I know it's nuanced, I'm calling them marriage vows is fine, uh, but um, uh, that, would be, that would be an oath. Now, what does it mean when Matthew 5, Jesus says to swear not an oath? What does that mean? We're going to thoroughly answer that question throughout the sermon this morning, but let me sum it up for you this way, okay? Be known as a man or woman of such high integrity and character that if you say something that seems hard to believe, people will believe it because you said it. You don't need to swear on anything or anyone to get people to believe you. My, my proposition this morning is that God has called each Christian to walk in integrity and honesty. Integrity and honesty. You should be known as a man or woman 
of high integrity and high honesty. A Christian should be measured when he gives his word. Measured. Not just quick to, oh, I'll be there. Oh, I'll do that. You can count on me. I'll pay that bill. I'll co-sign here. I'll do this. I'll go there. I'll do that. And we just throw it out quickly, right? We'll swear to people. I swear I'll be there. I'll do this. You can count on me. Christians should be measured when they give their word. They should speak clearly. They should speak concisely. They should say what they mean, and they should mean what they say. A Christian keeps his word even to his own hurt. Listen, others should be won to Christ by the integrity of the Christian, and that begins with you and me. I had a conversation with uh, Brother uh, Dylan after the 815 service. He's the one that's teaching on faith that's not blind. And uh, and listen, here's, here's basically the conclusion of our conversation, okay? You need to know how to articulate your faith. If you're not sure uh, how to articulate your faith, and that's something, listen, that's something every Christian needs to know how to do, then I would encourage you, and I'm not trying to promote Brother Dylan's class above the rest, I've got to be an equal arbiter, right? I've got to promote them all the same. But listen, that'd be a great class for you to take on uh, how to share your faith. But let me just say this here. You need to be able to do both. You need to be able to articulate your faith and you need to be able to live out your faith with a high character. Let's say you get down how to share your faith with others, but yet your character is weak. You know what? You've just undermined your entire message. But the opposite is true. Let's say that you have high character, but you don't know how to articulate your faith. Who's going to believe, who's going to be able to believe what you believe? They both, they work hand in glove. They're a tandem. Uh, we need the character, but we also need the calling to share, and they both come in great importance this morning. We need to be men and women of high character. So let's take this truth of swear not an oath, and let's break it down with three key observations. If you received a bulletin on your way in this morning, on the back of that bulletin is my outline. I encourage you to take notes as we go along here. All right, let's consider this title out of Matthew 5, 33, swear not an oath. Here we go. Number one, some insights on Christ's command. We're going to do a Bible study this morning, all right? So get your Bibles out and get them ready. If you can't keep up with the pace, then don't sweat it. You can just sit and listen. Make sure you put a marker in Matthew 5 because we'll be back there throughout the sermon this morning. Look at verse 34 of Matthew 5 and let's again see what Jesus said. He said, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Now, when I was a young Christian, 13, 14 years old, I began to explore my Bible. And let me just say here to those um, that are young, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, listen. I stand up here today and I know my Bible very well. I've been to seminary. I've studied. I've spent a lifetime learning the Bible. When I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I did not read my Bible and I did not have an active prayer life. I tried. I struggled. All right? And if you're young here and you've tried and just felt like you're not getting anywhere with that, stay at it. 
Alright? It takes time. Maybe you've only been saved a few months and you've tried to read your Bible and pray. And you're just not really getting anywhere. Let me help and encourage you to stay at it. Alright? Think of reading your Bible and praying like playing a musical instrument. Alright? I can go over there and sit down on that piano and I can play chopsticks. That's the beginning and the end of what I know how to do on the piano. Alright? If uh, I were to sit down and try to play the way that uh, Brother Daniel plays or Miss Cowley plays or Miss Janet plays, I would get very frustrated very quickly. Uh, they, they took hours and hours of lessons uh, and practiced hours and hours to be able to do that. And walking with God is very similar. You don't just wake up one morning and are excellent at reading your Bible and praying. You start with the basics and you work very slowly and you learn how to read your Bible and you learn how to pray and get answers from God. And uh, You start with very elementary building blocks and you graduate from the milk of the Word of God to the meat of God's Word. And so, don't try it, dabble in it, get discouraged and quit. Understand it's something that takes hours to master uh, and to learn. But uh, here we are uh, uh, with the Word of God and we're trying to understand Matthew 5. As a young man, I would read 34 through 36 and I would think to myself, wait a minute, we're not to swear at all. Then, is it a sin to put your hand on a Bible in a courtroom and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Because according to this passage, it seems like we shouldn't be doing that. But then I, you know, see, that was accepted in the mainstream Christianity I was a part of, that no one seemed to have a problem with that. And, and honestly, you know, I, my dad knew the Bible really well, and my pastor knew the Bible really well, and, and uh, they never spoke out against it or had a problem with it. And so I thought, well, I, I don't know. Maybe they're either they're missing the passage or I'm missing something in the passage. So I'm going to be very honest. Until this week, I stayed confused on that topic. And then I did a deep, deep dive into the Scriptures. So let me sort of show you, in a nutshell, what I learned. All right, take your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 20. Like many things, we need proper context. We need to remember that Jesus said in Matthew 5, I did not come to destroy the law, I came to complete the law, all right, and the prophets. So let's see what the law and the prophets said, and that will help us better understand the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, all right? Listen, the, the crux of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 is built on the foundation of Exodus chapter 20. Look at verse number 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When you say things like, I swear to God, if, or I swear to oh my Aunt Mildred's great, what are we doing here? We're, we're throwing out a strong statement. And listen, we need to be careful with the name of God. I, uh, I was taught from the time I was knee-high to a grasshopper, that you don't use these three words together. Oh, my God. You just don't say that. And can I just encourage you not to walk up to that line? Okay? Uh, no, I'm not saying these things are a sin. Alright? Uh, the sin is to take God's name in vain. We shouldn't even approach that sin. We should have a barrier that keeps us from that sin. I am not saying this is a sin, but I am saying that we ought to be careful with saying things like, Oh my gosh. 
We're just two letters away, and we are implying the same thing. You know what Christians are really good at? Christians are coming up with alternate curse words. All right? My dad used to say, it growing up. And I had no idea what that meant. And one day I said it, and someone said to me, do you know that you're just a few, you're just switching a couple of words around from saying something very, very, very awful. And we, we, we like to walk up to the line of sin, and well, I didn't do anything wrong. I think a mature Christian does not ask what's wrong with it. A mature Christian backs up and says, what's right with it? What's right with it? Uh, oh my God. Be very careful with that. By the way, if you're a Spanish speaker in here, the Spanish equivalent would be Dios mío. I know, I know that people say that all the time. Those two, it's the same thing. Let's not parrot a sinful culture who breaks the Ten Commandments every day. We're called to have character that's above that. Let's be very careful. Look back at Exodus 20, verse 7. Look at the end of the verse. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Oh, you better be careful with the name of our God. Take your Bibles over to Numbers chapter 30. If you swear an oath by the name of God, then you sure better be careful about that. And you sure better be reverent and thorough in what you have promised in that oath. Look at Numbers chapter 30 and look at verse number 2. It says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, look here, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not... Break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Notice that Moses did not ban vowing vows or swearing an oath to the Lord. He did say, if you do it, you had better keep your word. You had better keep your word. But Old Testament Scripture takes it a step further. Go to Deuteronomy 6, just a few pages to the right. Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Old Testament Scripture takes a step further and gives a command that we do swear by the name of the Lord. And I'll not swear in the sense of cursing, but swear as in making a promise that we do it by the name of the Lord. All right, Deuteronomy 6, look with me at verse number 13. Deuteronomy 6, 13. Uh, Moses writes here in the second giving of the law, he says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. Turn over to Deuteronomy 10. Alright, you think, well, well, you know, maybe that's out of context, maybe that's not what Moses meant. Oh no, uh, Moses uses the same phrase, God has Moses use the same phrase, yet again in Deuteronomy 10. Look at verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, Him shalt thou serve, and to Him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. Now, at this point in my Bible study, in my office, I was totally confused. 
Totally confused. Jesus says, don't swear uh, by an oath. And here we have Moses telling us to swear by his name. Well, which one is it? And the answer is really not all that complicated. You're not to throw the name around of God around just in order to make a point or to be sensational. When you use the name of God and you swear an oath, it is to be something that's done carefully and in moderation and with great thought and great planning. And you should intend on following through, not only intend, you should follow through. Again, I mentioned marriage vows or a marriage oath in the introduction. Do you know that that's what you're doing when you get married? Is you're stating before God and man, I will be exclusive to you and I will be loyal to you until death do us part. I'm not just going to jump out of this marriage because I'm miserable. I'm not just going to jump out of this marriage because I don't like the way things are going. Uh, listen, I'm in it for better or for... For better or for... I think America needs to be reminded that when you get married, it is till death do you part. It's not just for better and for health and for wealth. It's also for worse and for sickness and for poverty. You're committing to be with that person even if it means you are miserable. And by the way, if you've been married any length of time, more than five minutes, you know what it's like to be miserable in marriage. Just uh, neglect to show her enough attention at the wedding reception and you'll find out real quick what it's like to be miserable in marriage. Amen? You saying, are you testifying, Pastor? I cannot say. Amen? No, I got along great with my wife at our reception. I feel bad looking back on it all these years later. We were broke, poor, and you say that's uh, that you're 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 double speaking. Yeah, I know. I was broke, poor because I was that broke, poor. Amen. I'm uh, I'm making the point there, and we didn't have any money. I mean, we had nothing when we got married, and uh, I had taken all the little bit of money I had and put it down as a down payment on a uh, an apartment for us to live in, and. And um, uh, we used, we used, you know, when you donate a car, they give you the, the vacation voucher, the three day, two night. That was our honeymoon. Okay, that I donated a broken down car so we could have a honeymoon. Okay, that's how broke we were, and so um, we had no money. You know how we raised money? We put an offering plate out or a basket out in front of us, and we said, according to how much you give, that's how violently we'll smooch here at the wedding. And uh, we had people putting fifties and hundreds. And so, boy, I was making out with my wife in front of everybody. Some people were so embarrassed they were leaving. Other people just kept putting more, all right? They were pouring gas on that fire. And uh, so uh, I, I feel bad about that now, and I have no idea why I just told you that. But uh, we... Uh, uh, you know, uh, if you've been married, there it is. If you've been married, you know what it's like uh, to not uh, to not be happy. You know what it's like to be miserable. But listen, you don't break an oath because you're miserable. When you give your word till death do you part, you need to stay in that thing, and you need to forgive, and you need to love, and you need to show respect, and you need to care for one another because you swore not on your aunt Mildred's grave. You did not swear by some false god. You did not swear by some idol thing. You swore by the God of your salvation that you would be with that spouse till death do you part. Swearing an oath is not the problem. Doing it flippantly or with vain speech 
is the problem. Let me show you a New Testament example of an apostle who swore an oath or uh, used the name of God to back up his credibility. Turn over to Romans chapter 9. We'll see that Paul did this in Romans chapter 9. Um, it is all too common to hear people th- say things like, I swear to God, or I swear on my mother's grave, or even, I swear if you... Hey, I, I'm just here to challenge you this morning. I'm not trying to be Mr. Legalistic Pastor, alright? I'm just trying to preach the Bible exactly the way it's written. Do not say those things. You say, well, Pastor, it's just part of my vocabulary. Well, then change! I'm not telling you that. Jesus Himself is telling you that. I don't care if your coworker talks that way. I don't care if your mother talked that way. I don't care if everybody in your life talks that way. You are a Christian. And Jesus says you're not to talk like that. Don't you throw the name of God around flippantly. You be careful about how you say these things. Here's, here's what many of us do. Alright? We say something that is outlandish or crazy or we say something that's only half true and to make up the difference for our own shortcomings or lack of credibility we throw in I swear to God in order to get the credibility behind that oh you're throwing the name of God around with vanity he is not going to hold you blameless Paul however did swear an oath of sorts in his epistle when he was trying to make a a, a strong statement look at Romans 9 look at verse 1 he said i say the truth in Christ i lie not my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. So here Paul is uh, saying, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. I have Jesus Christ knows I'm telling you the truth. And Jesus the Holy Ghost tells the truth. And I put the wrong verse down in my notes. But he would do the same thing in Second Corinthians using the name of God. And uh, he, well actually I do have the right verse here. Second Corinthians 1 verse 23, he said, Moreover, I call God, God for a record, God the Father for a record upon my soul, that to spare to you I came not as yet unto Corinth. He said, I haven't come to you, church of Corinth. God is my witness, and he knows why I have not done that. So, some insight on Christ's command. Is it a sin, uh, uh, is it a sin to swear an oath by the name of God in heaven? Not as long as it is measured and careful, and done only in extreme circumstances. It should never be done casually. It should never be done to cover up a mistruth or a lie. It should never be done to make up for a lack of one's own credibility. If in doubt, don't do it. If in doubt... Don't do it. By the way, that's a great way to live your life as a whole. Should I, you know, is there an area of gray here in the Bible? I'm going to tell you how Pastor Lejeune does his very best to live his life. If it's gray, I do my best to stay away. If it's gray, I do my best to stay away. Is that song song sinful? If it's gray, I'm going to stay away. Uh, Should I wear that? If it's gray, I'm going to stay away. Should I be going here and participating in this activity? Uh, uh, Where's the chapter and verse? If it's gray, avoid it. Stay away. 
And you say, well, uh, is it wrong for me to swear an oath in this situation? If you have to ask that question and you can't come to a hardcore yes, then you probably should just stay away. Number one, some insights on Christ's command. Number two, the importance of Christian character. The importance of Christian character. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 5 where we began this morning. What is the key issue at the center of this command? Now, I had all those commentaries open this week studying this passage. And while I did not get a lot of insight on what the passage uh, meant in great detail outside of that one commentary, let me tell you what pretty much every commentary said. It said that at the core of what Jesus is saying here is the character of the Christian. Because if you are a man or woman who keeps your word, you don't need to swear an oath because people know that what you say, you mean and you hold to. Are you a man or woman that when you speak and commit to something, you can be expected to follow through on it? Are you a man or woman of character? Look at Matthew 5, look at verse 34. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. It, it seems to me that in Jesus' day, take, take your Bible to Matthew 23, it seems to me in Jesus' day that there was some elaborate system of what you could and could not swear upon in order to make your point. There were levels of what you would swear upon. And Matthew 23, Jesus just picks their system apart by calling out the Pharisees. We know Matthew 23 as the passage where Jesus just lamb-blasted the Pharisees, called them vipers and hypocrites and snakes, and, uh, and just called them out for all of their double standards and legalism. Look at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 23. He says, "'Woe unto you, ye blind guides!' which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. Uh, but, uh, uh, let's see, whosoever swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty, ye fools and blind. For whether is greater, the gift or the altar, that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Now I know that uh, this is quite technical, and when Pastor Lejeune gets technical, some of you go into la-la land and you check out. Alright, you, you start thinking about the pot in the, pot, in the, in the, um, in the uh, uh, what do you call that thing, crock pot, the, 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 the Let's see. The roast in the crock pot. Sometimes because I can't speak straight, that brings you back in. All right? And so it's not intentional, but hey, it works. All right? Sometimes I'm glad I'm a little clumsy up here. But uh, you start thinking about that grocery list or you start thinking about that project at work. I'm asking you to pay attention on purpose for a minute and then I'll dial you back in with a story or something here shortly. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you guys are, you guys are, well, I mean, I'm going to use his word. You guys are fools. You guys are blind guides. Maybe if he was using bottom vernacular English language, he'd say, you're a bunch of idiots. He's saying, listen, you, you, you're okay with swearing by the temple, 
but not the gold of the temple. And what he's saying is, if you swear by the gold of the temple and you're found out to be lying, now you owe a debt. But if you just swore by the temple, you don't owe anything. And if you swear by the altar in the temple, you don't owe, and you're found out to be lying, you don't owe anything. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, well now all of a sudden, if you tell a lie, now all of a sudden, now you owe something. He says, wait, hold on a minute here. What makes the gold in the temple different than just a pile of shekels of gold? He said, the temple itself makes it more valuable. You've got some elaborate system and you need to knock it off. Now to go back to our original text, Matthew 5, just a moment. why Why would someone swear upon heaven? Who made heaven? Church, who made heaven? God made heaven. So you swear upon heaven, indirectly you're swearing by God. Uh, Who made the earth? God did. Um, Let's see, the Bible says over and over again that He made it to be His footstool. Who would? Why would you swear by the city of Jerusalem? Who made Jerusalem? Well, God did. Who owns the head that holds the hairs that turn color with age? God did. I think it's funny here in Matthew 5, He says that you can't change the color of your hair... Well, technology now allows us to do what? (laughs) Change the color of our hair. As a boy, I watched my dad get older and older, and I kept thinking, man, when's his hair ever going to turn gray? And then I opened up his medicine cabinet, I saw this box just for men, okay? It's amazing, right? And um, I thought it was really neat. Some of the ladies that attend our church, once the pandemic hit and they started staying home, they quit dyeing their hair, and... Uh, then they came back to church, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Gray does you well. You look good. You should have kept it that way a long time ago. And uh, listen, we can, we can today, we can color our hair. We know how to do that. They didn't know how to do that in Jesus' day. But you know what you don't have control over? You don't have control over when those hairs naturally turn gray. All right? I was getting my hair cut yesterday, and I'm sitting there in the barber chair, and I've got the, you know, the cape on. And I feel like a superhero when I get my hair cut because I wear a cape, right? But I got my cape on and, and they're, they're zipping the hair off my head. And I look down and amongst all this gray hair, I'm, or rather all this brown hair, I'm beginning to see some grays. Thank you, White Oak Baptist Church. All right, you're turning me gray, okay? And uh, I have teenagers in the home. I, that may or may not be a contributor, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, but um, uh, listen, uh, we don't get to control that. Why would you swear by the color of the hair of your head? God made your head. Turn over to Ecclesiastes 5. God is saying in both of these passages, quit looking for loopholes. If someone falsely swore by the gold of the temple, you know, that's silly. Um, when you say things like, I swear upon my mother's grave, who made your mother? Who gave her life? Now listen, everything. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's, I may misquote the verse, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord and everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And when you swear upon anything, indirectly you are swearing by God. So He is our Creator and King. Now we go through the process of swearing on a Bible uh, before we take the stand in a court of law. Why do we do that? 
Now, watch this. If people told the truth all the time, there'd be no need to go through this process. Right? I can remember being young, and I'd say something that was truthful, and people would be like, yeah, it's not true. Yeah, whatever. And you know what I'd be tempted to do, and I probably did this a handful of times? I'll put my hand on the Bible and promise you it's true. I think we're commanded by, by Jesus to be very careful about that kind of thing. Why would someone need to do that? Because people naturally are not honest. By the way, are you listening? A half-truth is a whole lie. The Bible says about the Holy Spirit, Brother Russo will be teaching, I'm sure, on this. It says His purpose is to guide us into what? All truth. Not half-truths. All truth. Why do we write out long contracts that attempt to cover every legal loophole? And then when we sign them, we have to do it in the presence of witnesses or notaries who also sign and put stamps on there. You know what? If people always followed through on their commitments, no one would need a contract. Anybody here old enough to remember where you could call down to the bank and, and they knew you by name and you could say, hey, I need money for, and they just give it to you on a handshake? Anybody here old enough to remember that? All right, a couple of you. Mike, are you sleeping back there? Before your time. No, it wasn't. Okay. You, you were telling me the other day about how Noah was when he came off the ark, so... Um, listen, um, we're never going to get out of the sign this contract era. I, I don't see that coming to an any time soon. But listen, Christian, you ought not need to sign a contract to keep your word. When you give your word, you ought to be good for it. By the way, I'm going to get real personal. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't do that. You pay your bills. A handful of years ago, I was $30,000 deep in credit, consumer credit debt. $30,000. Let me tell you, I was buckling under the weight of that debt. And I had taken out credit cards... And I had agreed to the terms of those credit cards. You say, oh, well, those, those terms are, are unfair. You should have thought about that before you signed on the dotted line. No one's making you take that Visa or MasterCard. And you know what? I got a call when I was trying to get it all paid off. I got a call by one of the credit card companies, and they offered to settle. And they said... Um, you know, you, you can just pay this and we'll, we'll cancel your debt. You know what I told them? Mm-mm. I'm paying the whole thing because I agreed to those terms. I'm going to pay my debt. I'm going to keep my word. Look at Ecclesiastes 5. Look at verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. These are not my words. These are God's words through Solomon's pen. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that 
which thou hast vowed. Verse 5, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. I've been in church my whole life. Let me tell you what I've learned. I'm very hesitant to do business with church people. Hesitant. Now, I will do business with church people, and I have even recently done business with church people. But, oh boy, I have seen so many people get burned because of uh, a lack of integrity from a brother or sister in Christ. If you've had a brother in this church do work for you in your home and you haven't paid them back, shame on you. Now, I don't know of any instances, but in a church this size, this probably happened. If you agreed to something and you've not paid that debt and you're just hoping they'll forget about it, listen, your Christian brother, if you're on the wrong end of that, listen, you need to forgive and move on. Refer back to some of the other character sermons I've preached on. But if you're the one that's not paying the bill, shame on you. And by the way, don't look for a brother in Christ to give you a discount. Don't do that. You pay the whole bill. They may offer you a discount, and if they do, that's great. But don't you go to them and say, well, I really hope you'll cut me some slack. Uh, you know, we go to church together. Don't, don't solicit your uh, relationship in Christ to get a lower, a lower bill. Don't do that. Don't do that. When you do agree to something, pay your bill. Be thorough on it. Boy, I've seen some brothers and sisters in Christ do, do people dirty at times. And I just say, where is your character, Christian? God knows your heart this morning. I think we'd be wise on this topic of uh, construction. I think we'd be wise to consider what Jesus said about not building a building until you've counted the cost. Right? Right? He said, you don't start into a building project unless you're able to pay for the whole thing. Otherwise, you end up with a half-built building and then you look like a fool. Don't do that. Count the cost. Pay your bills. Some of you are like, Pastor, we get it. Move on. Ouch. Quit stepping on my toes. Psalm 51.6 Behold, David says, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God knows your heart. When we say or imply that we're going to do something and then we do not follow through, we are lying. Lying. And this is a sin that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. It's interesting. Christians sit on their spiritual legalistic perch and they proclaim their self-righteousness over sins that they do not struggle with. All the while, they're cheating on their taxes or not paying off their debts or recklessly and frivolously ending their marriages or telling someone that they're going to be at a certain place at a certain time and then just never showing up or communicating. God's Word says that lying lips is on His hate list. Lying lips are abominable. Consider Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. Take your Bibles to uh, Psalm chapter 15. Psalm 15. 
uh, while you're turning there, Jeremiah 9 uh, recounts to us the sad story of the decline of God's people, the Israelites, and how they had entangled themselves in the sin of lying. And uh, Jeremiah says in 9.3, he says, And they bend their bows like, uh, bend their tongues like their bows for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. He's saying here that just like you take a bow and you bend that thing back and you shoot an arrow, people are using their tongues like a bow and they're shooting lies out and it's become their regular speech. We cannot address the topic of character and not address the tongue. James tells us in the New Testament that if you can control the little member of your tongue, then you can control your whole body. The tongue is the hardest, the littlest and hardest member to control. And then James tells us this, he says, what a great matter, or what a, what, let me see, let me, I have it written here, exactly how it's worded in the Bible. It says, what a great fire a little member kindleth. What a great fire a little member kindleth. Look at Psalm 15. Look at verse 1. The psalmist eloquently worded it this way, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle or in thy presence? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? All right, let's stop. Everybody look up here. How many of you would say, I want to dwell in the intimate presence of God? Would you raise your hand if that's you this morning? I want to dwell in the presence of God. Okay, look at verse 2. The psalmist is going to tell us what is required of you. Look at verse 2. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth, that means you're, you're slandering people. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that feareth the Lord. Let's read this last part of verse 4 together. Ready? He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. What does it mean to swear to your own hurt? It means that when you give your word, you keep your word. Even if it costs you some great inconvenience or some great sum of money. You husbands that stood at a wedding altar and said, I will keep myself only unto you. You say, well, my wife has lost interest in me. I don't think that clause was in your marriage vows, was it? You say, well, you know, um, things are rough. We're in a rough spot in our marriage, so I had to take care of a need. For better or for worse. You young people who are not married, will you look up here at me? You better really think through what you're vowing before you say those vows. You better really understand what you're getting yourself into. Get counsel from someone who's been married 30, 40, 50 years. I preach on this a lot because it's a, it's a major problem in our culture. And according to all of the anonymous research that's been done by churchgoers, it's a major problem in churches. And it is not just a problem among men anymore. It's a problem amongst both genders. 
But pornography has taken over our churches, taken over our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. You gave a vow before God and man. You are to keep that vow. You are to maintain that vow. I think of, um, was it Job that said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a woman? You know what that is? That's a swear before God. I will not lust with my eyes. I will not look with lust. You say, well, pastor, if the women would quit dressing in a way that was so provocative, I'd quit looking. And I agree that women need to dress in a way that's modest. But regardless of how they dress, you need to make sure you maintain a heart and mind of purity and integrity. We live in a day and time where we give our word and so quickly break it. Do you know that you don't really own anything except your word? Everything you own belongs to God. The only thing that you own is your word. And when you give your word and you don't keep you, your word, you've given away the one thing that's your, that's your possession. You give your word and you do your best to keep your word. Even to your own hurt. Well, I, I, I know I told brother such and such I'd be in church, but you know what? I, I'm just not feeling real well today. I'm going to stay home. Now, if you're legitimately sick, you, you send in a text, you make a phone call, you stay home. But just not feeling like it is not, that's not going to cut it. And I'm going to say this again. Let me, let me, let me preface and, and give a couple of disclaimers. This is more aimed at the men than the women, all right? Um, you know there's a difference between being sick and not feeling well? Men need to get a backbone and be men. Or I'm just not feeling well. You know what? In my home, we have standards for why you miss school or why you miss church. If you don't have a fever and you're not contagious, I don't care how you feel. <laughs> get there. We have some uh, markers that are non-ambiguous. Many people there, and well, I, I just woke up and I'm just not feeling real good. But you don't have a fever. You're just being lazy. Can we just say it for what it is? You're just being lazy. Get your lazy self out the door and get where you got to go. And I am amazed at how many people will use the I'm not feeling well thing to miss church, but they don't seem to use that to miss work. They'll go to work not feeling well, but they can't go to church not feeling well. Or they can't help a, a brother because they're not feeling well. Give your word and keep your word. Boy, I am meddling like something else today. Number one, some insights on Christ's command. Number two, the importance of Christian character. Lastly, lastly, let's look at number three. Christ's insistence on committed communication. I'm not done meddling. I've got one more strong point to make here that's going to put my finger on a problem in our culture. Look at Matthew 5 and look at verse 37. But let your communication be yay, yay, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now, in Hebrew culture, much like today, uh, you would say yay or nay, or yes or no, when you were asked a question. If someone were to question your answer, you would confirm with a double yay, yay, or uh, nay, nay. That was all that was needed, not some long explanation or ambiguous fast talk. We live in a time where people generally don't like to commit to things. They want to leave themselves open to changing their mind. I remember back 20 years ago, I'd invite people to church, and I would get a straight yes, 
I'll be there, or no, I won't be there out of people. You know, I don't get much of that anymore. All right? I text people. You going to be in church tomorrow? Here's what I get. All right? Here's what I get back. I wrote down what I get from people. All right? Here's what I get back. I'll try and be there. I'll try and be there. You know what that means? I'm not giving you a straight answer. I'm leaving myself wiggle room. Because if I don't feel like going, I'm not going. But I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm going to say something positive. All right? Here's another one. I'll do my best to come. Or how about this one? Man, that sounds great. I'll try and make it. What is that? Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Do you know that you can't build anything solid on people who just won't commit? We got a problem with people who won't commit in 2023. And you know, you can't build a church or an organization or anything on people who are like, well, I might be there, we'll see. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I gotta see how I feel. I gotta see how my dog's doing. I gotta see if I got a hangnail. I gotta see, listen, make a commitment and show up! We need men who will just make a commitment and keep their word. In my home, we, have, we haven't done this in a while, but me and April developed this. I think it's quite hilarious. Um, my, my daughter would ask me if we were going to do something, and I would say, maybe. And she'd say, is that maybe leaning yes, or is that maybe leaning no? And then we came up with these words, yay-be for maybe yes, and navy for maybe no, all right? And so she'd ask me, and I'd say, navy. Navy? What do you mean, navy? Right? Let your yes be yes, and your no's be no's. And be very careful with the word, maybe. Give your word and keep your word, and then, when you do, follow through on it. Proverbs 25, 19 is one of my favorite descriptive verses in the Bible. It says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. All right, a foot out of joint. Back when I was in the seventh and eighth grade, I was into wrestling. All right, I like the, I think back then it was the WCW and the WWF. How many of you remember those days? The WCW, WWF, and you had all the wrestlers and some kids at school got me into it. I wasn't into it long, but I was into it for a short time. So when I read this verse about confidence and faithful man is like a foot out of joint, I picture some guy on the mat and he's got a wrestler on his back and he's got hold of his ankle and he's twisting that thing. Ah! And his, 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 his foot comes out of joint. Ouch, right? And I picture that, you know, you give your word that you're going to be there somewhere and you let someone down and they feel like you're sitting on their back and you got their ankle and you're, you're yanking on that thing. Many people are great at talking their way out of almost anything. They can rationalize or justify almost anything they want to do. They cover up their lying heart with flattery and fast talking. Proverbs 10, 19, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Some of us just need to do a whole lot less talking and a whole lot more listening. Who here occasionally gets what I get? Foot in mouth disease. Open mouth, insert foot. You know how to keep your foot out of your mouth? Just keep your mouth shut. Right? 
Some of you wish I'd sit down and shut up right now. Amen. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be, say it with me, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Someone says, can you volunteer at the church for fill-in-the-blank next Sunday? You know what you need to do is take a minute and process the request. Check your schedule. Communicate with your family. And all the wives said, Amen. Communicate with your family and then give your answer. Alright, watch this. Josh over here says, hey, I need help moving. Can you help me move next Tuesday? And I say, ah, man, Brother Josh, I got a truck. I'll be there, man. And then I go home and Angela says, no, we have a commitment next Tuesday. I just gave him my word. I gave him my word. You know what I should have done? I would love to help you. All right? Are you moving next Tuesday? You are moving next Tuesday. Oh, okay. Well, whew, all right. You know what? I'd love to help you move. Let me check. And I'm going to give you a definite answer. I'm not going to say, boy, I, I'll see if I can be there. I'll come if I can. Let me get back to you. Hey, Angela, what do we got going on next Tuesday? And if the schedule's clear, I'll be there. What time? And then I'm there. You know what I've done? I have been very careful before I gave him my word on what I was going to do. Some of you would be wise to follow that model. Let's finish the sermon with John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we're going to see that Jesus did not only preach this, He lived it. He lived it. Look at John chapter 3 and look at verse number 3. Jesus answered, verse 3, and said unto him, Verily, verily. Now that's old English. Uh, Our modern English would be the words truly, Truly, or if I could uh, reference back to the Hebrew culture, this is Jesus' way of saying, yay, yay, all right? What I'm about to say is an absolute truth, all right? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus saith, yay, yay, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water... And of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, do you know why we believed the Savior going to heaven? Watch this now. We believe the Savior going to heaven because God always keeps His promises. He said, He said, Marvel not that I say to thee, you must be born again. That which is born of the water is water. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And you know what? We believe that if you've been born of the Spirit, then you are going to go to heaven because God always keeps His promises. When He says, yay, yay, He follows through on His Word. Let's be careful about throwing swears or oaths around. Once you give your Word, you need to keep your Word, even if it's to your own hurt. If you put your faith in Christ, then remember who you represent. And as Christians, let's walk in the integrity of a godly heart. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I'm bringing you now to a point of decision, church. What are you going to do with what you have heard? Some of you here, maybe it's that you need to just be a little more careful with God's name in your speech.
others of you here, maybe it isn't that you throw God's name around loosely. It's just that you don't keep your commitments. Some of you here may struggle with just being committed to what you're going to do. And the Spirit of God needs to work in each of our hearts accordingly. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my full faith and trust in Christ alone to save me. Here's my hand. Here's my hand. I know when I die I'm going to heaven. Jesus is my Savior. You can put them down. Thank you. Not every hand was raised. If you did not raise your hand, I thank you for your honesty. Is there one here today that in the privacy of this moment, with everyone's heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed, would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die, I'm not certain where I would go. I'm searching for the truth. I want to go to heaven. I'm just not sure. If I were to die today, I'd go there. Pastor Lejeune, would you please pray for me? With no one's head, no one looking, would you just privately slip your hand up and slip it back down? I do not know. If I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Is there one? I don't see a hand. I hope that means everyone here is a believer. If you don't know for certain, certain you're going to heaven, please let us take the Bible before you go home and help you to get that settled today. How many here would say, Pastor Lejeune, something in the message today, God spoke to my heart. Pray for me that I'll make the changes to my character and be more like Christ. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Something in the message today, God spoke to my heart. I need to keep my word or whatever it would be, whatever it would be. Lord, help us today to take the truths we've heard and put them into practice. Bless us now in Jesus' name.